This is a very special podcast, and I'm so happy that Joel Garvin has come by and he's going to talk with me about UFOs, ancient civilizations, modern abductions, government cover-ups, the whole nine yards. Joel is an engineer by trade and an expert on the Arantia Book teachings, as well as having a foot, a big foot, in the ufology world. I assure you this will be an exciting conversation this time up on the Arantia Radio Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Joel Garbin has been on our program a long, a couple times, and uh, he he's sort of a kind of he and I have in common some techie stuff. Sort of the way that we look at the Urantia book is very similar. And if you if you've listened to any of our previous interviews, you understand that Joel's not only a smart guy, but he's very smart about the Urantia book too. And that's why we decided to have him back on. You know, of late, I you and I started talking again, Joel, about a U.S. A UFO conference. And you and I were sharing some emails back and forth. And I think one of the things, in my earlier years, I was very much into the ufology thing that was going on because like so many other people, I was always curious about the past and why there seemed to be ancient civilizations and and where did they come from and what happened to those people. Um, But once I I really got into my study of the Arantia book, I felt satisfied that the Arantia book pretty much addressed all of the ancient civilizations just by the narrative uh, of having first the Caligasti 100 and then later appearing the Adamites and then Melchizedek. So in a strange kind of way, yeah, you could say they are extraterrestrial because they, they weren't from here, but they came here and they were advanced. And I thought I'd talk to you about it because I know in in our last conversation, we did talk about ufology and and the sort of uh, interconnecting tissue between ufology and your rancher book. So let's talk about that a little bit. Where do you think, how do you assess the world now? Everybody seems really excited about life on other planets and UFOs and alien visitors. What's your sense of what's about to happen or what's happening in the ufology community? Well, let me give you a little bit of context here, Jim, on this whole Uh, excitement about the whole UFO ET field. So just in the last couple weeks, there's been an interesting juxtaposition of what I would call three discrete events. One was this, the world's largest UFO ET related conference called Contact in the Desert. And that was just held a couple weekends ago, uh, right outside of Palm Springs. I happen to be a speaker at that conference. Uh, on a topic related to uh, both the Urantia book and <clears throat> ufology and some other uh, embedded topics in there, <clears throat> religion and climate science and breakthrough energy. 
and kind of like trying to, to bring those things together, show some common threads there. But one of the highlights of that conference was a a panel presentation by some of the leading UFO researchers on the planet and kind of giving the state of the uh, of the field uh, relating to that topic. And it was really fascinating. Uh, many of these researchers have been personal friends of mine for for decades. And it's always incredible to kind of get caught up with them on what the latest is. And there were some things that definitely I had learned new about how far things have come, including on the whistleblower testimony uh, that's been going on of late. So that conference was kind of the the first uh, little foray into the recent activities. Then just a couple days later, there was uh, revealed in the news about a very high-level intelligence community whistleblower. His name is David Grush, and he's gotten a fair bit of press coverage uh, because he had made a uh, basically gave some interviews that revealed uh, he had recently submitted his sworn testimony in front of the U.S. Senate intelligence committee select committee on intelligence and his testimony had to do with the uh, uh the fact of there being a secret program within the u.s government embedded in the the military that has operated an active alien crash retrieval program so alien spacecraft, they've operated this for decades, that they have, in fact, retrieved actual UFO physical craft as well as bodies on a number of occasions. And he filed a formal whistleblower complaint with the intelligence community inspector general that complaint had to do with reprisals that he has experienced as both a U.S. military, a U.S. Air Force military officer and as an intelligence operative within both the, uh, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and the National Reconnaissance Office he's been an intelligence employee in both of those agencies as well. And so his complaint had to do with some reprisals from the intelligence community against his attempt to, to be a whistleblower um, on this whole topic. So he maintains that there has been a secret program within our government and that our own U.S. intelligence community has has inappropriately withheld key information on that topic from Congress. And the the inspector general for the U.S. intelligence community has, has stated that his complaint is credible and urgent. Pretty strong words. Okay, so, so let's, uh, let's uh, in summation here then, the ufology community is all astir because we seem to have evidence now that the government 
uh, at least is acknowledging or we have evidence to show that they're very well aware that there's been extraterrestrial activity. To me, to that, I would say as a Urantia book reader, big deal, you know, because I already accept the premise that we have been visited numerous times by super intelligent uh, life forms. I get it. I'm there. So now let's move on to the next step. Who are these who are these visitors? Where are they coming from? Are they coming from Uversa? Are they coming from Jerusalem? Or are they coming from the Pleiades? Are, are they green and alien? Or are they spiritual and super mortal beings like the kinds that we've had experiences with in the past? It's like that uh, Richard Dreyfus, you know, in Close Encounters of the Third Time, where he, he slams his hand on, on, the, on the desk and he says, Who the hell are you people? Okay, so who are the who are these uh, these alien invaders in your opinion? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I think some more of the context here to examine that question has to do with some of the uh, information that was provided by a very well known researcher on the topic named Dr. Stephen Greer, who also just last week held a two day conference on disclosure of the whistleblower testimony. These are other whistleblowers. And and then that, that two-day conference was followed up by a two-hour National Press Club uh, press conference in Washington, D.C. This was just last Monday. In fact, Byron Belitzos attended uh, both that full weekend two-day conference and the National Press Club conference I was hoping to go to that. Dr. Greer had invited me to come to that as his guest, but I, I couldn't because of some other priorities. But Byron was there. I had a chance to kind of debrief with him to see what he heard, what he experienced. Uh, he said it was it was very sober, very moving, uh, actually even quite emotional hearing the testimony that was provided. And one of the things that that Dr. Greer had revealed during that press conference was that the estimate is that there have been between 60 and 70 species of, of, you know, aliens or humans from other planets that have been visiting our planet here. That's a, that's a large number. And these are, these are physical beings, apparently. Uh, that doesn't exclude that there might be other types of beings who who can reveal themselves somehow in some way that aren't fully material. But we're talking dozens. Yeah. Well, of different but again, races of, it, within, of beings. within the context of the bigger picture, which is how I view it, we already know from the Orange Book narrative there are upwards of a billion seraphic beings on our world at this very moment. So what's the big what to do about these space people who uh, come travel? They come see us. They don't ever let us see them. They never. They always go to the intelligence community, which I think is a, a contradiction in terms when you're talking about the United States intelligence because uh, it's the United States, and they're very rarely intelligent, in my opinion, because all they are about is secrets and because they think we can't handle it. I think people could handle it, and why don't these, these aliens go to one of your conventions? That would be great. Like, you know, when Captain Kirk shows up at a Star Trek uh, convention, why did one of the Greys show up and start talking to us? I mean, it sounds like I'm joking, but come on now. We're way past the suspense. You know, why don't they show themselves? That's that's my one 
My one gripe. Yeah, well, it's so this is a really good question, Jim. And now I would maintain that that largely these beings have not just appeared to intelligence community or military officials or leaders of nations or whatever, that they frequently have shown themselves to regular citizens of all stripes, of all nationalities. I mean, there, there are millions of people who have had their experiences of various forms of contact. That might have been sightings of UFOs. It might have been sightings of some type of, of crash mm-hmm. evidence or, or having actual contact with beings directly. And, you know, and I have had, I've had my own direct personal experiences of the phenomena, both, both singularly and in a group on several occasions. And so, you know, there are different stages of the, of these contact experiences, but I think it's been happening to many, many people on this planet. Now, why don't they show up in like a mass formation of, of uh, you know, mothership and little scout ships at conferences and at the fairground and, and all that? I can't really speak to that, but certainly there have been well-documented sightings of multiple crafts. Uh, in various parts of the world. I've I've seen much of the film footage of this. I've talked to uh, various folks who have, you know, these are credible people, regular folks, as well as military insider witnesses who have given me their their testimony on the things that they've seen, activities they've been part of, uh, including military programs, and, and also involved in suppression of that information didn't come out into the media and such. So, so these, these contact experiences are much more widespread than, than what one might think. Now your, your question about, uh, you know, who are they, where are they coming from? You know, what are they like? Are these just spiritual beings? I would say, no, they're not spiritual beings for the most part they aren't these aren't angelic beings that we can't see because of course we can't uh we can't register the presence of a spiritual being with our physical sense faculties so we wouldn't even know if there's a seraphic guardian is right next to us and and i do believe they are but these beings that have have you know been the subject of these contact experiences largely are material and they they have material craft that they operate actual mechanical devices now they may be much more sophisticated than what we have as our typical technology on this planet but they have figured out how to navigate uh, interstellar distances so let's consider in in terms of the urantia book what physical beings who are not native to this planet have actually uh, been part of the history of this planet. I think we can start with the life carriers. Okay, so we know going back hundreds of millions of years, the Urantia book says that these beings, the life carrier order, came to this planet and they, they came here after performing certain experiments of life formulation in laboratories on the life carrier spheres uh, 
that that are around the universe uh, headquarters. Okay, Salvington. So these beings actually have have the assistance of electrochemists and physicists. That's that's actually called out in the Arantia book. And they they operate laboratories. That's not some etheric little kind of fantasy uh, or or thought form. These are actual physical laboratories where they do experiments. Now it says in the book that when they they came here for the life implantation, that they didn't actually bring a, a life form with them to implant, but that they conducted <clears throat> the formulations for Urantia actually here on the planet. That meant they brought laboratories with them. Well, how do you do that? You don't bring that on a seraphic transport, you bring that on some type of actual craft, you know, because you're talking a physical laboratory, it's going to come on a physical craft because they're doing actual physical experiments. And the life carriers are described as being uh, three phase beings. They have options to be in three different phases. One being kind of semi-material, one's kind of a semi-marantial, but the third is an actual physical form where they can manipulate electrochemistry and can, can actually perform uh, physical operations, which would include laboratory experiments and, and planting something in an ocean or whatever and such. So the life carriers are the first actual physical beings that appeared on this planet. Now, <clears throat> we kind of progress you know, further down in history, a few hundred million years, we get to, you know, 500,000 years ago, the arrival of Caligastia and his corporeal staff of 100. Okay, so these are, these are 100 <clears throat> ascendant mortals from other planets who were, you know, who had lived their life on those planets. They now had their Marantia forms on, on Gerasim, but then when they volunteered to come to this planet, once they arrived here, they had specially constructed material physical bodies that are said by the book to have been, uh, those bodies were, were said to have then been implanted with life plasm from some uh, 100 of the Andonite humans by these surgeons from Avalon, okay? So, so surgeons are taking something material, putting it into material bodies. These were material beings from elsewhere who clearly would have been using some type of physical instrumentation, maybe laboratories again, things like that. They would have arrived here with, with all of that equipment or what have you in a physical craft. These these you know, Avalon surgeons or whatever would not have come here on seraphic transport because again they needed material uh, instruments and and who knows what kind of technology with them to to do these delicate genetic uh, extractions and, and transplantations. So that was kind of the second round of visitation. Then we get to you know the Adamic visitations of Adam and Eve. You know, these again, these are material beings that end up being here on the planet uh, for all the purposes that are described 
uh, into your rancher book. And then I would say, you know, after that, we got Mel- uh, Melchizedek here, you know, comes, mm-hmm. has an actual incarnate presence here on this planet as a, a human, uh, albeit superhuman, but in physical form. So clearly the Melchizedek's also have this prerogative, even though it, it might be used rarely, to actually incarnate as a physical human being um, on our planet. And then the, the last and very significant mentions throughout the book are what are called the student visitors. And the student visitors, I think, kind of get short thrift uh, in, in the Urantia community. They tend not to be <clears throat> recognized or discussed much, but they're actually mentioned in several parts of the book. And uh, uh, some curious things about student visitors. It says that they are, uh, they are uh, ascendant mortals from various planets, uh, you know, all throughout the universe who, who are seeking uh, basically a, a increased knowledge and understanding. They, they are free to travel throughout the universe they are free to travel to even quarantined planets. So that's not off limits, uh, which would include our own planet and the other uh, uh, 36 planets that are uh, supposedly under quarantine in, uh, in our own local system. But the student visitors uh, clearly uh, range widely throughout the universe. And they, they can perform... Uh, you know, such uh, such activities as observation of a planet, maybe just out of scientific or cultural curiosity. They can be helpers in certain missions as well. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it sounds very natural to me that, you know, given that, that our own brand of humanity on this planet has always had a keen sense of adventure and exploration and discovery. We like to go find out new things and travel to new places. It makes sense that humans on other planets would be doing the same thing. If they're more advanced than we are technologically, if they become spacefaring, it makes total sense that they would travel around to various planets. Now, the Urantia book does say that, that the student visitors tend to be more semi-spiritual in form and that they actually do travel by seraphic transport. Now that would imply that they would not routinely be visible to us here because, you know, of our physical senses, not being able to detect them. However, we don't know if there is technology on this planet within our classified programs in the military or intelligence community we don't know if they now have technology that can detect these semi-spiritual or marantial forms of, of life and energy using technology. Um, certainly, we have instrumentation that can detect forms of energy, uh, including various uh, wavelengths of light that are outside the visible spectrum. I want we you to can routine, uh, just we can just, routinely detect those. Just because you brought that up, I want you to just what you just said. This is what we've been able to detect from uh, from the Sagittarius cloud 
a cosmic explosion that happened 200 years ago. Listen to this, Joel. That's from a cosmic burst from the Sagittarius cluster. There's a there's a black hole there. And Joel, wow. that happens to be where the Arantia book says is U minor the third, what we call Enza, our minor sector. Isn't that fascinating? But it just that plays to what you were just totally, saying. Totally wild, Jim. But it just goes to show, look, we would not have been able to detect that type of, of energy, uh, which, you know, in this, in this case, you know, that was, you know, uh, uh, frequencies of sound yeah. that would be outside our normal range of, of human physical sense of hearing. But we've got instrumentation that can detect, you know, that type of frequency. We can detect light frequencies, both in the infrared and ultraviolet and, and gamma, many other ranges within the, the full electromagnetic spectrum. My My expectation is that spiritual frequencies of, of energy and amorantial frequencies of energy, that they are also part of the electromagnetic spectrum and can be detected if you have the suitable technology to do that. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if the advanced technology used in classified uh, you know, military programs have that ability. And as you listen to the whistleblowers give their testimony, especially these military uh, whistleblowers, and you hear about the degree of sophistication of the equipment that they were privy to, uh, there there is a lot to be said to the ability of our military, at least in the U.S., to not only be able to detect incoming a spacecraft of various sorts, visible and invisible, but to be able to target them and actually bring them down with some type of, of weapon mm. or technology. And, and it sounds like in many cases, this is a type of, of, well, basically beam weapon technology that can track and bring these, bring these technologies down. According to Dr. Stephen Greer at that National Press Club conference last week, he he said that he has actual data and evidence of at least 120 crash retrievals that have been performed by these classified programs within the U.S. military. That's and pretty active. I mean, I have to say that that indicates there is a lot of activity. Um, you oh, know, I would God. imagine, it, and I'm sure you've heard this said before, but if you were from an advanced, uh, you know, society, you know, on a planet far, far away, and you're mastering ability of interstellar interstellar travel, and then you come to this planet, and you get a up close look at how we behave and some of the problems that we're having here, I, I would I would argue they would probably not want to be seen by us because because yeah. of, of our belligerency. You know, we're a very antagonistic species. Oh, it's a good point. I mean, whether it's it's a military with sophisticated weaponry targeting you, you know, if you're, you're coming in and all, all you want to do is maybe just observe uh, or you're curious because you've heard that, you know, one, Michael was here or something. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. This is a life modification sphere with forms of life that don't exist anywhere else. So that's part of curiosity. Two, you hear this is a divisional headquarters of archangels, which is supposedly uh, uh, quite unusual and, and rare and special. That would pique some interest. And then most especially, this is the one planet out of nearly four million in our local universe where our own creator son had his seventh bestow as an incarnate human. Uh, so intense interest would be the case in our little, you know, blue green sphere here. Yeah. All kinds of, of cultures on other planets would, would take an interest in wanting to come and check it out, see, maybe observe, you know, who are these backward Urantians here uh, and hopefully not be targeted by by sophisticated weaponry and and, and yeah. other types of, of threats. Um, but yeah, I agree with you, Jim. I, I'm sure we appear just quite backward and, and ignorant and belligerent compared to the more advanced races, and and some of whom may be certainly millions or even billions of years more advanced in their spiritual growth, in their technology, in their ethics. Um, you know, than we are here. Well, I feel better talking to you, Joel. I, I knew you'd help me sort out this uh, a little bit and give me some perspective. And I think you've kind of won me over a little bit. Uh, I don't see the conflict that I saw before we started talking because I'm, I'm a purist. I'm a Urantia book purist. I, I often say, if it's not mentioned in the book, there's a good reason for that. But in a way, they do sort of mention it, don't they? I mean, there is definitely a thriving universal community surrounding us and we just aren't aware of it because of misgivings of our own history that's all so yeah you're you're right you know clearly there are many many different uh types of beings here celestial beings uh and and probably thousands or millions who are doing kind of their routine duties here you know unbeknownst to us because you know we we might react in uh, very inappropriate ways if we were aware of their direct presence. But I, I think, you know, those who are familiar with the Urantia book, I think we become very curious. And, and I would say we would like to meet these beings. At least one in each of us love to have a direct meeting with our guardian seraphim. Oh, sure. I, I mean, I I'm waiting. <laughs> Yeah, that would just be spectacular. Or to meet, you know, you know, a Melchizedek receiver or or any of the life carrier custodians. Because it says that there's, you know, there's two senior life carriers and twelve life carrier custodians here who've been here for a long time, and undoubtedly they continue to monitor the progress of life development here, and they they probably are hugely concerned with what's going on here because, you know, we, we are, you know, by some uh, claims, we are in a, a mass extinction period where we're losing so much of our biological diversity on the planet uh, at a rapid pace. Uh, we have a lot of challenges with human health and, and issues we have to contend with in that realm, uh, human fertility and, uh, and, and other things. And a lot of kind of, you know, ignorant, but also malevolent human activity that goes on that is kind of anti-life. I would think the life carriers and and others would be hugely concerned about that. And maybe they are doing some type of 
preservation activities along with just the pure monitoring of mm-hmm. what's going on here. So, well, you know, one of the key elements that you will frequently hear in the UFO ET community is hybridization programs where people will say, hey, they had a contact experience with, with some alien being. They were taken aboard a craft. They had their eggs or sperm withdrawn, and they were, they were later told that this was part of a, a breeding program or hybridization program. Uh, and some of them claim, and I've even I've talked to some of these, a, a few women in particular, uh, who said they actually were introduced to the hybridized children that were, you know, half theirs and half uh, half another order of being. Um, so, you know, pretty startling stories when you hear them. But these are again just regular people uh, who who don't have a lot to gain by sharing. Uh, fantastical stories where they'd be likely to be ridiculed and, and called kooks. But when you see that these are sincere people who have been, in many cases, traumatized by those experiences, you, you know, you kind of like, well, you know, you feel some some empathy for for what they've gone through. But hybridization should not just be thought of as as like something new and extraordinary because that's what the Adamic mission was all about. Yeah. Was hybridizing the evolutionary human with the violet race to bring about a new and higher form of human with enhanced endowments of of mind, enhanced endowments of of physicality, a more uh better immune system, telepathy and and other high senses, a uh, spiritual perception all these kind of things that that uh, we would have had as our our natural endowment but but you know we know that program got largely thwarted so we only got to, at best kind of a, a piecemeal uh, bit of that upstepping of our biology but nonetheless that was a hybridization plan and you know so to hear that that some of these uh, kind of more recent accounts of of hybridization genetic modification what have you uh, to me that's like thoroughly possible that that might even be something being conducted by the life carriers on an emergency basis of some sort because of what's going on on our planet we got to remember that the the uh, the urantia book revelations largely you know were concluded you know, in, you know, the 1940s, perhaps, maybe perhaps up to 1945. And here we've had 80 years since then of dramatic acceleration in our technology and in so many other things happening on this planet. So we don't have 80 years of more revelation that we can read about. So it's not like things stayed static since those, you know, those, the, the book itself was finalized and published, you know, things have continued to go on. So who knows what all the, the additional things that have been undertaken on this planet by the celestial overseers, it it could be far, far, you know, just, it could be spectacularly surprising, uh, you know, about what they might be doing as conservation measures, 
for the life on this planet, including human life. That's a good point. I think that's a good place to leave it too, because obviously there's you you've proposed so many more questions, and that's you know that's one of the frustrating things I, I when I'm watching Ancient Aliens. By the end of the episode, it's like, well, wait a minute, you didn't answer any of those questions. <laughs> uh, but far be it for me to 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 say this. All of this is under a, a guiding, loving hand, a, a spiritual creator, and it takes nothing away from a relationship that a person can have with their divine spirit, the spirit of God. It takes nothing away from the authority and the power of Michael and, and Christ Jesus. It takes nothing away. All it does is reinforce the, the same notion that the Urantia book puts forward, which, which is that we are part of a much larger global universal community. And eventually we're going to grow into that and we will have hopefully maybe open communication with some of these advanced societies around around the universe why not why wouldn't that be a natural uh event that could unfold through time i mean we've only been if you think about it uh, man has been on this planet for a little less than a million years but only in the last hundred have we really started to explore the universe so we still got a long way to go we still have a lot of things to learn so well said yeah, yeah, very well said, and I thoroughly agree with you. Well, I appreciate it, and I uh, are you doing anything fun? Are you going to any of the upcoming events uh, that the Foundation or the Fellowship uh, are sponsoring, going to IC23 at all? What, or any, any, what do you think of the, uh, the, uh, the yeah, I know you're into space, the eclipse next year, August 21st, the big, the big eclipse that comes seven years after the other eclipse that occurred on August 21st. I guess this next one will be on Easter, Resurrection Day. Have, uh, any of that yeah. inter- interest you at all? Oh, yes. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I'm very interested in in that eclipse. Um, you know, I, I was in the the path of totality of the, the one that was in uh, 2017. Yeah, of course you, know, you were. That's August, right. August, August 21st to 2017, from what I remember. Yeah, but, that's right. Uh, yeah. That was an amazing experience, and I'm, I'm hoping to again get get into the path of totality somewhere in the U.S. Uh, for the upcoming eclipse. Uh, and, and I have been, you know, paying attention to some of your other guests who've had some some comments about, you know, what some possibilities might be associated with that, uh, which are curious. You know, I, I don't, you know, I entertain, you know, all possibilities. For something like that, and there, undoubtedly, there is something really special that happens when you get directly experience that full, full solar eclipse. It, it is an unusual experience uh, that that is moving. It's very moving on deep levels, uh, not just intellectual or emotional, but but physical levels too, because it, it's such an out of pattern experience from our normal, you know, diurnal cycle. Uh, and I think it, it, it kind of causes a, a reflection of sorts uh, in the mind of those who get to experience that, just about how special this is and how is it that, that our own uh, moon is, is of such a size and distance to just perfectly, perfectly be able to, to uh, fit directly in front of our star. Yeah. Uh, just seems way beyond coincidence, doesn't it, Jim? 
Sure does. I know the Incas used to lose their heads over this. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, you're right. I mean, when you see that, it just sort of, uh, it's, you know, it's humbling more than anything because it r- really makes you feel like I'm small. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. It, when you, when you look at it, when you read through the life carrier uh, account in the Urantia book and you, you know, they say all of these different um, uh, unique and special aspects of our planet and the life here that clearly are not are evidence that life is no accident that it has been planned at at vastly high levels as a part of a divine plan and and carefully formulated including our atmosphere and and certain aspects of of the planet and in neighboring neighboring planetary bodies including our moon and such and they say that the uh the midwares have have conjectured nearly i think it said fifty thousand different reasons that point out the planning the intelligent planning of life not just the random bombardment of cosmic particles that somehow accidentally uh, gave rise to to life, which is just ridiculous and absurd, I think, for any any thinking person to maintain. Yeah, I agree. There's nothing wrong with admitting that the universe came into, re- came into being for a purpose. That we have not yet discovered that purpose in full should, ne- should not take away from the fact that this is, wasn't an accident. So anyway, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Joel, for coming by, and I look forward to our next conversation. This is my home now. You yourself called me a destructive race. That's true. But still, there is another side. You see, I... I love them. This is a very strange thing. I I can't find a way to explain it to you. For many years, I... Cursed my luck for being sent here. Human life is difficult. But as this life is coming to an end, I consider myself lucky to have lived it. <laughs>